The previous Mishnah listed a number of mitzvahs, such as reading the Megillah, doing a bris milah, and a couple of other examples. And midoraisa, these mitzvahs can be done after alois hashachar, which is the point of dawn when the first rays of light appear. And midoraisa, that is considered to be the beginning of the day. However, midirabonon, we consider the beginning of the day to be only netzachama, sunrise when the actual sun can begin to be seen over the horizon, since it's quite difficult to calculate the exact time of dawn, Mijabonon, things which need to be done during the day, can only be done after Neitzachama, after sunrise. Now while we're on that topic, this Mishnah is going to list many, many different things which must be performed during the daytime, and the Mishnah comes to tell us that Kolayom Kosher, the entire day is valid from Neitzachama, from sunrise until evening, for the following things, that Kriyasa Megillah for reading the Megillah. And all of the things which are listed are learned from Pesukim, where the Torah says that it's done on a particular day. So since the Torah uses the word day, we learn that it has to be done during the daytime. And it can be done all day. Well, it creates a Hallel, reading Hallel, on Yom Toivim, and Rosh Chodesh, etc. But it creates Shofar, blowing the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah, and Tidas Lulav, taking and shaking the Lulav on Sukkot. Well, it creates a Musafin, davening the Tefillah of Musaf. Although there is no posuk about the tefillah of Musaf, this prayer corresponds to the Korban Musaf. And as the Mishnah tells us now, Musafin, the Korban Musaf itself can be offered up all day, Ulvidya Parim, for the confession of the bulls. This refers to a situation in which either the Kohen Godol or the Sanhedrin make a mistake in Halacha. They rule on a particular matter that it is permitted to do that thing, but later on they realize that they made a mistake. So in that case, the Kohen Godel would need to bring a carbon, and the Sanhedrin, if the majority of the Jewish people followed the decision of the Sanhedrin, then they would need to bring a carbon as well, of bulls. And when they bring this carbon, they need to do a confession, asking Hashem to forgive their sin. And this confession is compared to the confession of Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, it says that it has to be done on, on the daytime. For on this day, Hashem will atone for you. And so we learn also to the confession done with these bulls that it has to be done during the daytime. And it could be done all day. For the confession done with the Maestras, this refers to the Pesach of the fourth and seventh year of the Shemitah cycle. One would go to the Beis HaMikdash and he would declare that he has separated and given out all of the various maestras, all of the various tithes which he needs to take from his produce. So this declaration can be done all day, on video Makipurim, and the confession of the Kohen Godol on Yom Kippur when he confesses for all of the sins of the Jewish people. Again, the Torah uses the word Yoim, daytime, to teach you that it can be done all day. Now, before one slaughters an animal to be brought as a carbon, there is a mitzvah of smicha, to lean one ha- one's hands and the entire weight of his body on the animal which is going to be brought as a carbon. And just like this shechita, the slaughtering itself has to be done during the day, because the Torah says the word yoim regarding the slaughtering of a carbon, so too the smicha needs to be done during the daytime. So the smicha, leaning one's hands on the animal, the shechita, slaughtering the carbon, litnufa, this refers to the waving of the carbon oimer and other carbonus as well, where there's a mitzvah to move it in all directions, lift it up and down and all around before offering it up, lahagosha, bringing parts of a carbon towards the Mizbeach, Likmitza, taking a handful of flour to be brought as a flour offering, a carbon mincha, which was made up of flour, or Torah, and for burning the flour as part of the carbon mincha, Limelika, 
This refers to the unique type of slaughtering which was done to birds which was which were bored as a carbon. They were slaughtered with the thumb, the nail on the thumb of the Kohen. He would cut the neck of the bird. That was known as Malika or the Kabbalah. Catching the blood of a carbon or the Hazoya. Sprinkling the blood of a carbon. That was another stage in the process of it bringing a carbon. Or the Saita. Giving a solution to a Saita to drink. A Saita is a woman who was accused by her husband of going off and having relations with another man. And so in order to test whether she had actually done so, the husband brings her up to the Beis HaMikdash. And she is given a particular solution with a parchment of Hashem's name which was dissolved in the solution. And she needs to drink that solution and if she is guilty, then she will sort of bloat and die. So again, that has to be done during the daytime. Egla Rufa, which is when a dead body is found outside of a city, and it appears that somebody killed him, but it is unknown who killed that person. So the basin in the nearest city need to go down to that place where the person was killed, and they need to bring a calf, and break the neck of this calf, and they need to atone for the sin, and declare that they are not responsible for it. So again, that has to be done during the daytime, just like all other confessions and atonements. And finally, purification process of a matzora, of somebody who had tzara'as, that also needs to be done during the daytime. And it can be done all day. Mishnevov, on the other hand, the entire night, ending at at dawn, kosher is valid for cutting the grain which is needed for the carbon oimer, which is brought on the second day of Pesach. And there is a mitzvah to harvest the barley which is used for the carbon oimer, to harvest it during the night. And secondly, for burning up the fats and the limbs of carbonis which were offered that day. So the night after they are offered up, they are all burnt on the Mizbeach and that can be burnt the entire night. The Torah explicitly says that it's Kolalayla, Adaboika, the entire night until the morning, that that can be done. And the mission ends off, Zakhlo, this is the rule. Dovash something where the mitzvah is that it needs to be done during the day. Kosher Kolayom is valid the entire day. And the Gemara explains this comes to include another example, which was not on the long list we had in the previous Mishnah, and that is the Lechem Aponim, which were the 12 loaves of bread, which were replaced once a week on Shabbos on the Shulchan. So this process of replacing the, ble- the bread on the Shulchan, that has to be done during the daytime, and it can be done all day. But something which the mitzvah is to be done during the night, is valid the entire night. And the Gemara explains this comes to include one more example, and that is eating the Korban Pesach. At least according to the opinion of this Mishnah, one is allowed to eat the Korban Pesach until the morning, until dawn, and not only until midnight. The main focus of the second half of the Masechta is far less related to the Megillah itself, but more to the general laws of reading the Torah, leaning Haftorah, since it's a similar topic to reading the Megillah. And before we discuss those halachas as an introduction, this parak begins with a number of laws to do with the shul itself. Since the Torah is always read in the shul, so this Mishnah discusses the sanctity of the Torah itself and the sanctity of the shul. Now there is an important rule known as Mailim Bakodesh Ve'imaridin. We always go up and rise in levels of sanctity and don't bring things down in levels of sanctity. Now one Midrabbanon implication of this is that if one sells a holy item, then he cannot use that money to buy something of lower sanctity. 
If let's say you were to sell a Sefer Torah, it would be a disgrace and a lack of honor to spend that money now on a mundane need. So this Mishnah is going to list various items which have Kedusha, they have holiness to those items, and which items are considered more holy and which have a lower level of sanctity and Kedusha. So the Mishnah says, B'nei Ho'ir, residents of a city, Shemokru Chivashal Ir, who sold the town center, the town square. The reason why this town square has a certain level of holiness is because on fast days, if let's say there is a fast day which is decreed because rain hasn't come down yet, so the people of that city would go out into the town square and daven over there. So although it's not considered a shul, it still does have a certain level of, sa- of sanctity and kedusha because it is a place of davening on fast days. Like one can buy an actual shul with the money received for selling the town square. Since the shul has a higher level of sanctity, one can use the money to buy a shul. If the people of the city sold the shul, like Chinteva, they can buy an Arna Kodesh in which the Torah is kept, because that is closer to the Torah, and so it has a high level of Kedusha. Teva, if they sold the Arna Kodesh, they can buy the covers of the Sefer Torah, they're actually touching the Sefer Torah, and they adorn the Sefer Torah itself, and therefore they have a higher level of holiness. Midpachis, if they sold the coverings of the Sefer Torah, like Chimsforim, they can buy scrolls of Tanakh, since that has the actual text of the Tanakh on the parchment, so these scrolls have a high level of Kedusha. And Sepharim, if they sold these scrolls, then like Torah, then they can buy Sefer Torah, which has the highest level of Kedusha. If they sold the Sefer Torah, they cannot use that money to buy other holy scrolls, which are not the Sefer Torah itself. Sepharim, if they sold these scrolls, they can't buy the coverings of a Sefer Torah. But if they sold the coverings of a Sefer Torah, they cannot buy an Arna Kodesh. If they sold an Arna Kodesh, they cannot buy a Shul. If they sold a Shul, they cannot buy the town square. And the Mishnah adds, and the same applies with the leftover money. If, let's say, the, ta- the people sell a Sefer Torah, and they use that money to buy another Sefer Torah, so that is permitted. However, the second Sefer Torah, which they bought now, was cheaper than the first Sefer Torah, and so they have some leftover money, which they can spend, and it's probably, it's unlikely that that is enough money to buy another Sefer Torah. Even in that situation, says the Mishnah, it is forbidden to buy something else of a lower level of Kedusha. Now it should be noted that all of this is only Midrabonon, and because of that they were lenient in a case where the entire city and the members of the city who are in charge of the affairs of the city and selling things, if they all agree to sell the item, then the money gained from selling the item can be spent on any community need, even if it has a lower level of sanctity. It's only in a case where the members who take care of the city affairs, if they decide to sell something like this without the agreement of the rest of the city, only then did the Rabbonon apply this decree that they cannot buy things of a lower level of sanctity. Continues the Mishnah, It is forbidden to sell a shul, that's how we're going to understand the Mishnah, a shul in which many people daven, there is at least a minion of 10 people who daven there, and so the entire davening is recited there often, even the things which can only be said with a minion. So one would not be able to sell a shul like that, a regular shul, like Yochid, to an individual, 
such that the individual will govern there alone without a minion, without ten men governing together. So you're effectively causing it that many parts of the davening will not be recited anymore in that shul. Kedusha, Kaddish, Boruchu, all these parts of davening which require a minion, if they are not said in the shul, then you're effectively lowering the level of sanctity of the shul. And so it is forbidden to do so, because one is decreasing its level of holiness and sanctity. That is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. The Chachom said to Rabbi Yehuda in Cain, If that is true, according to you, we don't agree, but if you would say like that, then then it should also be forbidden to sell a shul from a large city to a smaller city. Since there is a concept of Barav Am Hajas Melech, that the more people there are davening together and performing any mitzvah together, the more glory it gives to Hashem. And therefore the shul of a larger city would have a higher level of kedusha of holiness. So according to your logic, it would also be forbidden to ever sell a shul to a smaller city where there will be less people davening there. But since that is certainly permitted, say the Chachamim, so too it should be permitted to sell a shul of the public to an individual. Rehuda argues because there is a much bigger difference between davening with a minion or without a minion than there is davening with a minion or a larger minion. Mr. Beast, the Mishnah continues to discuss a couple more laws to do with the level of sanctity, the holiness of a shul. And in order to show that one is aware of the holiness of the shul, in Mochimus Akinesis it's forbidden for the residents of the city to sell a shul, even if the conditions of the previous Mishnah are fulfilled. It is forbidden to sell it El Al Tanai unless one makes a condition Shem Yurtsu Ruhu. That if these sellers want to buy the shul back, that they will give back the shul and they will return the money. If they don't do this, then it shows it's a bit of a disgrace towards the shul, as if they just want to get rid of it. So they need to stipulate at the time of the sale that they will be allowed to buy it back if they decide to in the future. Do you remember that is the opinion of Remeyer? It is permitted to sell it as a permanent sale. They don't consider it to be a disgrace if one does so, as long as they make a condition when they sell the shul that the buyers are not allowed to do the following four things with the shul. They sell it on condition that it not be used, except for the four following things, la merchats as a bathhouse with a bursaki, a place where they tan and process animal hides with a tevila, as a mikveh for people to purify themselves on hamoyim, and a place where people will excuse themselves to turn a shul into one of these places is certainly considered to be a disgrace even according to the Chachomim, and therefore at the time of the sale they need to sell it on condition that the buyers don't turn it into one of these things. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, it's true that at the time of the sale, they need to show that they are not selling it for a disgraceful use. So They need to sell it for the sake of being used as a courtyard, or any other mundane use, which is not considered to be a low and disgraceful use. However, the buyer, once they have done the sale, so then he can do whatever he wants to with that shul, since at the time of the sale, the sellers showed that they recognize the holiness of the shul, and are not just getting rid of it for the sake of a very low use.